Welcome to First Baptist Church. We greet you in the name of Jesus, and we're glad that you're here this morning to worship with us. And if you're a guest, we'd love to get to know you. One of the ways that we can do that is through the guest registration card that's located right in front of you. If you could take that white card out, fill it out for us, and then after the service, turn to the left and go to the Welcome Center. Our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, will be there, and he has a small gift for you coming and being a part of our worship this morning. We're just so glad that you're here. Today we call this Sunday, I Am Going Sunday. Because it's when we introduce to you all of our short-term mission trips for the year. And so there's a slide that should go up. And then you also will have a brochure that's located. Yeah, that's bright right there. We'll try to get a black background in the next service. Sorry about that. But as you look at this, I just want to give you a quick summary of, uh, of what's offered this year. And the first trip is Guatemala. This is traditionally a medical mission trip. But while we're doing medical clinics, we also need help with kids ministry, VBS, and we're even looking at the possibility of doing some construction. So if you're interested in this trip, go ahead and sign up. We're going to look at kind of what God blesses us with and then build the team and what we're going to be doing from there. Next up, we have Denver. This is a family mission trip, meaning you can go uh, as yourself. But if you want to bring your family with you, you can bring kids up to 9 to 10 years old. As long as they stay with you, you kind of care for them and are with them. Uh, then you can be a part of that trip. That is a great starter trip if you've never been on a mission trip before. And then finally, uh, with our West African people group, the Wall of People who migrate to France, we do a Paris mission trip where we work with Wall of People right under the Eiffel Tower who are selling merchandise. We build relationships there with IMB missionaries to point them to Jesus. And so we would love for you to join us on one of these short-term mission trips all the information is on our website, or you can grab one of these brochures. And as you sign up, you can sign up through the paper brochure, or you can go to the website and fill out the online form. That gets the ball rolling. So I want to take a moment to pray for this trip, these trips and pray for our, mission tri or our service this morning. So would you take a moment and pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you because of Jesus. We have a reason to go. We have a gospel to tell. We have a mission to complete. And God, it's always your glory that motivates us to go. You are worthy to be worshiped in every continent, among every people group, and in the heart of every human being. And right now, God, you are not worshiped in the heart of every human being. So that is why missions exists. So Father, fill our hearts with a burden to see your glory among all peoples throughout the earth so that we will go and they will know. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand and let's sing together. 
seat while they're going back to their seats. I just want to kind of, let's just sing that kind of quiet. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. That was so good. I want to hear you do it again. Praise his name forever. Come on, church. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you today. Enjoyed worshiping with you. Glad you're here at First Baptist Church today. Uh, I want to share with you about our intercessory prayer ministry uh, at the Welcome Center today. You can sign up for a specific hour during the week, like a Thursday at 8 a.m. or a Saturday at 9 p.m. or whatever, and commit to pray for our church for at least 15 minutes at that hour. And our goal is to have somebody praying for our church every waking hour of the week. There are 168 hours in a week, and we usually haven't filled in all of those 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. time slots, but we want to fill in as many as we can. So we have 68 people committed so far, signed up on those sheets there that have done this in previous years, and now we open it up to everyone for the next three weeks. Go by the Welcome Center. Uh, would you consider making a commitment? Maybe that'll be a good growth point in your prayer life. Maybe you've never had a designated specific time of prayer for 15 minutes. And so that'll be a good starter for you. Once a week, uh, pray for our church. So there at the Welcome Center are some uh, uh, green sheets that have prayer requests. What do I pray in that 15 minutes? Well, we have prayer requests and scriptures you can pray ongoing for our church. They're in two formats there, a full-page size or a size that will fit in your Bible or fit in a prayer notebook. You can pick those up. And we'll also email you weekly our weekly prayer list to give you other things to pray for. But we believe in prayer. We believe that God saves people through prayer. We revival comes through prayer. We believe that God builds his church through prayer. So we're asking you, uh, would you do the great work of prayer and pray for our church and so, if you will, choose a slot. First, instead of doubling up, let's try it first to choose a slot that's vacant there on those lists. Put your name and email. Thank you for sharing in that. One of the best things you'll do in the service to our Lord is to pray, and we appreciate that. Before we look at God's Word today, I'd like for us just to have a moment of prayer. The people of Turkey and Syria have been hit by a devastating earthquake. Uh, 28,000 people have died, 60 to 70,000 more injured, 7,000 buildings destroyed. Um, we just want to pray for them. Would you join me in a time of prayer? Father in heaven, we come together today specifically to pray for the people of Turkey and Syria who are suffering. And God, we pray for your grace and mercy to them, for those families who have lost loved ones, for those who are injured, those who are displaced or homeless in some freezing weather. Lord, we know that that was an area already hit by civil war, and there were many refugees, many women and children who had 
gone to that region to escape violence in other parts of Syria, and now they've had this devastation. We thank you that there are Southern Baptist sin relief workers that are providing water and blankets in those areas. And Father, we just want to pray for their physical needs and also that they might look to you. Lord, every one of us is going to die one time. And we're going to stand before the Lord. And so, oh God, we pray that the gospel might reach those people and that even now there might be people who would look to you, the one true God, call out to you and find your mercy and grace for eternal life. We pray for our service here this morning that you'll speak to us through your word, by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, the foundational verse that I want to share with you is Romans chapter 14, verse 10. And it says that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So I want to talk to you today about our accountability to God, that we're going to give an account to God. What's that going to be like? What does that mean? What should we do because of that? This verse says that each of us, every one of us, is going to give an account of ourselves. So we don't have to give an account for somebody else. Isn't that good news to know? Ladies, you don't have to give an account for your husband. Parents, you don't have to give an account for your kids. You're not accountable for anybody else. We, each of us will give an account of ourselves. We don't have to worry about hypocrites. People get all bent out of shape. We don't have to worry about them. God will take care of that. Each of us will give an account of ourselves. And each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Aren't you glad you don't have to give an account to other people? Other people misunderstand us, so we don't give an account of ourselves to others, but we give an account of ourselves to God alone. His judgment is the one that matters. Well, what's that going to be like? Let me share with you a second foundational verse this morning that tells us a little bit more about that. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So this verse tells us that that accounting will be before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me tell you about that word. The Bible tells us in Acts 18 that when Paul was in Corinth, he's writing to the Corinthians, but when he was in Corinth and founded the church there, he stayed in Corinth for some time, and the Jews in the city got jealous and, and brought false charges against Paul, and he had to go before Gallio, the administrator, the magistrate. And it says in Acts 18 that Paul stood before the judgment seat of Gallio. Like a judicial bench, it's still there in Corinth. I've stood before it, the judgment seat of Gallio. Big high raised stone platform and Gallio would have set up on it and you would have stood bound below it. And Paul had stood there before that judgment seat. The Corinthians would be familiar with that. And he was saying to them here, there's another judgment seat. It doesn't really matter if you stand before a human judgment seat. What matters is you're going to stand before the judgment seat, the judicial bench, the courtroom of Jesus Christ. And that each of us will receive what's due us for the things that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. So he's talking about to Christians here, each of us. This is not a judgment upon lost people. This is for all of us. Now, this judgment before Christ will not be to determine whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. It won't be you stand there, oh, I wonder, am I going to go to heaven? Have I been good enough? Am I going to go to hell? No, that's going to be sealed and revealed the moment you die. 
you're going to heaven or hell is based upon whether you trust in Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son who died and rose again for your Savior. And if you have trusted him, you've received the gift of eternal life. And immediately when you die, the Bible says that you'll go to be with the Lord in paradise. So that's going to be obvious when you die. This judgment then, when Christ comes back, will not be to determine that. What is this judgment for? It is a judgment that is going to reveal what we've done with our lives since we've been saved. It matters how you live. Some people think, I get saved, and okay, that's it, I'm going to heaven. Got that spiritual part done, I'm done with that, nothing more to do there. This verse tells us that it matters how you live and that you are managing your life for God. And he's going to ask you, what have you done? I died for you, how have you lived for me? And so today I want to share with you from scriptures five areas that it talks about that we will be accountable to God, that we will, that God will examine in our lives. Uh, each of these five main passages that I'm going to share with you has one of these two words, either the word account, our word account, each of us will give an account of himself to God, or the word steward or manager. The idea is that we're a steward or a manager of what God has entrusted to us, and one day we're going to give an account. This word steward or manager, management, is the word oikonomia. We get our word economy from it. Uh, You're an economist. You are managing what God has entrusted to you. It's like, I don't know if they still, do they still teach in high school home economics? Home economics economics was uh, about the management of a home and you could take this class called home economics and it was how you would manage or steward your home well we're in the management of life for God and we're going to look at these passages that talk about us as managers or stewards who will give an account there are five areas that the Bible says that we'll give an account to God number one we'll give an account of to Jesus of what we've done with our time what we've done with our time let me read to you a parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse, beginning of verse 42. The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager? There's the first occasion of our word economist, steward, manager. You're going to manage. Who is a faithful and wise? You want to be a faithful and wise manager. Whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. So he compares it. God's like the, the master. And we're like the servant, the steward, and he's told us, I got work for you to do. I got a job for you to do. I want you to to feed my servants and manage this while I'm gone. And it says in verse 43, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Jesus Christ is going to come back one day. He's going to ask you what you've done uh, with what he's given to you, first of all, with your time. And truly, I tell you, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. So the purpose of this accountability, or at least one of the purposes of it, will be to give rewards. There are rewards in heaven. And it says the one who's been faithful and wise, I will put in charge of all his possessions. There will be greater opportunity in heaven. Heaven has rewards. And some people say, oh, that couldn't be heaven. It's all got to be exactly the same. That's, our, that's a big lie in our society today. Everything has, everybody has to be exactly the same. L- listen, uh, there are people who 
have more than I do, and I'm probably as happy as they are. It, we, on, on earth, you can be happy without having the same as everybody in heaven. It will be the same. There will be more opportunity for some. And so that, that, what you have done for God, what, how you have used your life, will be evaluated when you stand before him. Now it says in the next verse, verse 45, but suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taken a long time in coming, and uh, he then began to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. He wasted his time. He spent his time foolishly, not responsibly. And he says the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect and an hour he doesn't, is not aware of. He'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So it is saying that some who appear to be servants of Christ are showing that by their doing nothing for him that they really do not belong to him and they'll be assigned a place with the unbelievers and it says in verse 47 the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows but the one who does not know and does not does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows so here we learn that just as there are rewards in heaven there are degrees of punishment in hell described in a parable here as many blows and few blows. I have people ask me sometimes, it isn't fair, or say, it isn't fair of God that people who have not heard the gospel would go to hell. That's just not fair. A fair God wouldn't do that. Well, Romans tells us that every person has some degree of revelation of God through creation, and so we're all without excuse. But God is more fair than you and I have ever thought about being. And so here we learn that there are different degrees of punishment for those based upon the knowledge that you have. The servant who knows the master's will be beaten with many blows. The one who does not know will be beaten with few blows. The last part of the verse 48 says, For everyone who has been given, much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the principle we'll follow through all five of these areas. The more you've been given, the more is expected of you. And so God will evaluate us based upon what we have been entrusted to us. And the first area, are you wasting your life? Young people, as you decide what kind of career you're going to do, why don't you choose a career that is going to Bring glory to God and benefit other people, not just that you would make money. Now, I don't mean that everybody then has to be a missionary or a preacher. They're, you bless people. I'm glad somebody invented the iPhone. I'm glad somebody devoted their life and, and invented the personal computer and, and the automobile and those things. By the goods and services we produce, we're, you're blessing people. But why don't you do something that's going to contribute to the good of mankind? And, the, and why don't you try to aim, if you have the choice of a career, maybe you just got to choose whatever you can to make money. That's okay. Why don't you choose that? And as you decide how you spend your time, would you realize that one day you're going to give an account of that? Would you, would you say, God, I want to be a wise and faithful economist or manager of the life that you have given to me? Let me share with you a second area that it says we'll give an account to Jesus of what we've done with our money. We have our money. Look at Matthew chapter 25, another parable. Again, verse 14, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Talking about money now, same kind of scenario, a master entrusting stewards, he's going on a journey, but this time it's talking about money. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. We don't all have the same amount of money, do we? You might be a, 
you might be a five-bagger. You might be a one-bagger. You know, you're not going to be judged on, on how much you have, but on what you do with what you have. To whom more is entrusted, more is expected. Remember our principle. And then he went on his journey. In verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. After a long time, Jesus may be gone a long time. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled what? Accounts. He settled accounts with them. And the man had received five bags of gold, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And here's what the master said. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Part of the reward when we stand before Jesus will be to hear our master say, well done good and faithful servant. With the money that I've entrusted with you and with the time I've entrusted with you, you've managed it well. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then part of it will be greater responsibility in heaven. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then it says, the man with two bags of gold, verse 22, came Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. The same thing is said of him because he was faithful with what he had. You may not have much. Yeah, I don't have much money. It doesn't matter. What are you doing with what you got? God's not going to judge you on how much money you have. What are you doing with what you have? Because he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. How are you managing the money? You say, well, how do I invest for God? How do I manage it? Part of it is you give. Bible says you, uh, he who gives to the poor is lending to the Lord. Pretty good, pretty good return when you lend to the Lord. Are, are you giving? I believe in tithing. I believe that a tenth of your income you ought to give to God through his church. If that's not a part of your life, I, today I want to encourage you to consider that in your spiritual growth, that you will honor God with your wealth and that you will invest in that. Let me show you what he said to the Philippians. What Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 and following. Philippians 4, the Philippians had been Paul's biggest financial sponsor. On his missionary journeys, this church he started had sent him money. He's writing Philippians as a thank you note for their support. And he says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Thank you for sharing in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. They said, you were so faithful, you're the only ones that supported me in the early days. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your, what? Account. Paul said, when you've given to me, it's, you've not only supported the gospel and helped me, but it has been credited to your account. When you give to God, it is credited to your account. And so you can not take money with you, but you can send it ahead. You can lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven as you give. Are you, what are you doing with the money God's entrusted to you? Are you blessing? Are you helping? Are you affording the kingdom? Or is your life totally self-centered? Now, I want to pause here and say just a word before we go into the next three about these first two. 
to, to sort of get the other side of it for some of a minority of you. I think there are many of us, first of all, the majority, many of us, even Christians in America, live self-centered lives. With our money and with our time, it's self-absorbed. It, it is wasteful. We waste so much time online. We waste so much money on frivolous things that, uh, you know, there might as well be an Amazon truck just stay at your house all the time, you know. We just waste so much. And God would call us how we, how we invest that. But I want to say to the minority of you that because of that and your conscience, you may feel guilty then whenever you take a vacation or you take your kids to Disney World. Oh, I could have been spending this on something else. It's so expensive. L let me say to you, there's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given you. Jesus was a big party goer. He really was. Jesus said, John the Baptist never went to parties and you criticized him. I go to parties all the time and you criticize me. Can't please you people no matter what. That's what he said. He didn't say it exactly like that. You read it. It's in the book. And, and so uh, you ought to enjoy what God's given you. And for those of you who are worried, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't buy myself something new. I shouldn't take a vacation. Jesus took vacations. So you need that balance in your life. But I'm saying to you, for, for many of us, oh, we could... God has given us time and money and we are self-absorbed in it and one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. All right, let's go on to number three. The third area that the Bible says we'll give an account, we'll give an account to Jesus of what we have done with our gifts, our spiritual gifts. So when you become a Christian, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes into your life to give you power and strength and guidance and wisdom. And he brings with him a spiritual aptitude to serve God through the church. You are gifted. You have a spiritual ability in some way to serve God through the church. There are lists of them in the scripture. You can discover your gift. We have a, to come to our introductions class, we have a spiritual gifts inventory where you can figure out your spiritual gift, but you have a spiritual gift. Now, the Bible says you're going to give an account to God with what you've done with your spiritual gift. Let me read it to you in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Each of you, each of you, should use... Whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful, what? Stewards or managers or economia, economists. As faithful economists or managers or stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So the grace of God saves you. The grace of God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit brings with him the various forms of God's grace in teaching, serving, exhortation, mercy, administration, uh, encouragement, helps. Those are some of the gifts listed. So you are going to be judged by how you manage what God's given you. And so what kind of steward of you are the grace of God? Are you serving God in any way using, using your gift? So I don't know my gift. Well, you can discover it for, by two ways. You can look at the list in Scripture and try to figure it out, or you can go trial and error. Just start doing something for God and see what you love and what you're good at and what God has gifted you at. You don't know what the gifts are. As I said, there are lists, but here it, it divides them into two main groups. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. There's lists of gifts in Scripture, but they're going to fall into two groups. 
talking and serving. Some of you are verbal people, some of you are nonverbal. Those are your two big groups of gifts. You're either going to be a teacher, administrator, exhorter, or you're going to be a helper, server, behind the scenes kind of person. Those are your two big categories. You find out where you fit and you start using that. Megan Clayton uh, last week had asked for vacation Bible school leaders. Daniel McKenzie in a couple of months will be begin asking for leaders in the new year. You're going to be a steward. You're going to be accountable for the management of the grace. If you're a believer, God's given you some grace. Maybe it's laying latent and you don't know what various form of it is in your life yet. You need to discover that. You need to begin to use it to serve God through the church because you give an account of that to him one day. Fourth area in which we will give an account to God, we give an account to Jesus of what we've done with our influence. With our influence. Remember the principle, to whom much is given, much is required, whom not little is given, little is required. You say, I don't have much influence. That's okay, you won't have to give an account much. But if you have whatever influence you have, you'll give an account of your influence. Let me show it to you in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give a what? An account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So it's talking about preachers and other church leaders. I will give an account. I don't have to give an account to God for you. Praise God for that. (laughs) That's just a joke. But I have... But I have to give an account for my influence over you. That's what this verse says. I'll give an account for what I have preached to you, how I have tried to lead this church, how I have counseled you, for the has the doctrine been right? Have have I stuck to the Bible? Uh, Have I been a good steward of the of uh, the influence that I have in? Speaking to you, that's a humbling task every day. And other church leaders in that same regard. And so that's what this verse is saying. You have confidence in and submit because don't make their job any harder because they've got to give an account for, for how they influence you. So cooperate so that, they can, that it can go well for you and for them. That's what this verse is saying. I'll show you one more verse in that regard. James chapter uh, one or chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So don't just decide to become a, a preacher, pastor, teacher, because you think it'd be a, a cool thing to do. And one old boy said, I decided to become a preacher because I knew I was going to have to go to church every Sunday anyway, and I thought I might as well, I, I could talk when I went if I became a preacher, you know. So uh, don't become a preacher just for that because you're going to be judged more strictly. That's what this verse says. I'll be judged more strictly than you, not in regard to morality. That's what some people think, oh, you're a preacher, you've got to act better. No, you have the same requirements of ethics and morality that I do, followers of Christ. But I'll be judged more strictly in regard to the, because I have greater influence in some realms. So you can apply that in other ways. In a connection group, if you're a connection group leader, you have influence. You're going to be, how are you teaching? Are you sharing the Word of God? Or are you just talking about the Super Bowl in, in that time? You're going to be accountable for what you do with that time. If you're a parent, now I said parents, you're not going to be accountable for your children. Parents should not have guilt for prodigal kids. You cannot control another person. You don't give an account for another person. But you are accountable for the influence you have upon them and how you have ta- Have you brought them to church? Have you read the Bible with them? Ha- have you tried to share the, the things of God with them? You are going to be accountable for your, in- your influence, not the outcome, but the input. You got it? 
And, and Jesus even said it would be better for you to drown than lead a little one astray. Did you know that? That's what Jesus said. It's, look it up. It's in there. He said it would be better for you to drown than lead a little one astray. So influence is a powerful area where we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And where he, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not based on the outcome of those you have taught in a class or you have influenced uh, as in your family. You have a non-believing spouse. You're not accountable for your non-believing spouse and their behavior or their destiny. You are accountable for whether you have the influence you have brought to bear on them. The input, not the outcome. We'll give an account for that. There's a fifth area where we'll give an account to God, according to the Scripture. We'll give an account to Jesus of what we have done with the gospel, with our message, with the gospel. And this is the greatest stewardship of all. The most precious thing that God has given to us, more precious than time or money or influence or spiritual gifts, he has entrusted with the church of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, and we're going to give an account with what we've done to the gospel. Look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with, and I know it doesn't look the same in your English Bible there, but there's that word economia again stewardship management economics you're entrusted regard us as servants of christ and those economists managers of the mysteries god has revealed the mysteries god has revealed is the amazing plan of god by which he could be both just and merciful and justify jews and gentiles bringing one church together through the blood of jesus christ that any person could be saved because he would send his one and only son to die in our place for our sins and if we put our faith in him his righteousness would be credited to our account and our sin would be credited to his account that's the mystery of god that he revealed in the testament and we are entrusted with that we are servants of God those entrusted with the mysteries of God and now it is required verse 2 that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful so you and I when we stand for the judgment seat of Christ we'll give an account of what we've done with the gospel have we shared the gospel again we are not accountable for the outcome but for the input. You're not accountable for whether your kids become Christians, your spouse becomes a Christian, your parents become a Christian. You're not accountable for the response to the gospel, but we are stewards of the most precious thing that God has entrusted to us, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And if we keep our mouths shut, and if we're too embarrassed or timid or cowardly in a, a culture that is opposed to us to lovingly share the good news, we'll stand in account for not managing the most precious thing we've been given. Are you telling your kids, your family, your friends the good news of Jesus? Because that is the most precious thing that has been entrusted to us. Maybe it sounds heavy that I'm going to have to give an account for all this stuff. But the good side of it is your life can have meaning and purpose. You may think, I don't have a great job. I don't have a lot of money. My life is just sort of a dead end. Listen, listen. You have the potential to stand one day and hear Jesus Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
It is not based upon the amount of time you live, the amount of money you have, the amount of influence you have, the amount of number of gifts that you have, number of opportunities to share the gospel. It is, have you been faithful with what God has entrusted with you? He chooses to give five bags to some, two bags to another, one bag to other. That's his sovereign choice. But we are managers of what he has given to us. Is God saying anything to you today that you need to live differently about how you're spending your time, how you're investing your money. And I don't just mean giving. You're not just accountable for 10% you give. You're going to be accountable for the 100%. What are you doing with the rest of it? How are you managing it for his glory? What are you doing with the spiritual gifts? Is God saying anything to you? I'm wasting my life on frivolous things. I need to invest it in his kingdom. What's he saying to you about your influence? What's he saying to you about sharing the gospel? Would you pray together with me? Oh, Father, thank you that you have entrusted such wonderful gifts to us. As we evaluate now our economics, we want to be good economists of what you have entrusted with us. And if you're saying anything to anyone today about their money, maybe, Lord, there's somebody who's been totally self-absorbed in this. I need to begin tithing. I need to see how I can get out of debt to become a more generous person than God right now. Help them to take that step. If there's somebody who say, I'm wasting so much time on, on self-absorbed pursuits, social media, I, I need to change how I spend my time. If you're saying anything about somebody who has gifts that they're not using in your church, you're saying anything to a parent or a boss or a connection group leader or a pastor, then Lord, we just want to hear your Holy Spirit we want to change, make course corrections today that one day we'll hear that was words, good, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, have a life that counts and that matters, we invite you to come and meet me here at the front. You can come for baptism, you can come for church membership or for prayer, anything you need to do. Would you come as we sing?
Hey Amen. You can grab a seat for just a moment. Just want to invite you, we've worshiped through the preaching of God's word, through singing and song, and you can worship through giving. Those boxes are there on the back wall as you're exiting. I want to direct your attention to the worship guide. There's several important announcements in there, uh, things you can register for, deadlines you need to know about, so please check those things out. And then again, I want to invite all first-time guests. Hopefully you filled out that white guest registration card. As you're exiting these doors, if you head up to the left, that's where our, our uh, welcome desk is at. You'll see our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, there. Have a chance to meet him. He's got a small gift for all first-time guests. And just as a reminder, that's where you can also stop and sign up for our intercessory prayer ministry. So we invite everybody to stop by there and be a part of that, uh, praying once a week for our church. This next hour, we'd like to invite you to stay for a connection group. If you're not normally a part of one, we'd invite you to be a part of one. We've got, got one for all age ranges, uh, any uh, class. There's plenty of them that you can sign up for. If you go up there to the welcome desk, they can help direct you to the right one for you and help you find exactly where it is in our building. Let me close this out in prayer. Father, we thank you for today and just for the preaching of your word. And, and Lord, I pray that you help us just to be good stewards, uh, good managers of, of our time and of our money and of the gifts through the Holy Spirit of our influence and most importantly of the gospel. Father, we just pray that we live in such a way that honors you. So God, we know that we'll be accountable to you one day and we pray, Lord, that you just help us to live for you in these ways. Lord, thank you uh, for your love for your grace. And Father, we pray these things in the strong name as we've just sung about in the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.